Well, I thank God for our musicians and for all who have led us in worship today. It's great to be with all of you who are here in person and to worship with all of you who are worshiping with us online as well. Before we get into the sermon, I want to remind you about our New Testament challenge. I hope you all are continuing to read the New Testament, and perhaps you are following along with our reading schedule for 2022, and we're going to read the entire New Testament in one year. This week, we shift from the book of Acts to the book of Romans, and on Tuesday, we hope to put out a video, a five-minute intro video to Romans. Certainly hope you'll read this very important epistle with us uh, starting on Wednesday, I believe it is, in the schedule. But of course, we all need the Old Testament as well, so we're in a current sermon series when we are listening to the prophets, as Tom mentioned earlier. Today I want to draw your attention to a foundational passage in the book of Isaiah, and a passage that captures a key theme throughout the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. It's Isaiah 1. I'll read verses 10 through 17 from the New Revised Standard Version. The title of the sermon today is Sidewalk Ethics. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not Listen, your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There is a little town in Georgia called Metter, located about 60 miles west of Savannah, Metter has a population of 4,000. Some of the longtime locals there have been known to say, everything's better in Metter. Back in the 1940s, there was a judge in Metter by the name of Hugh Russell Kimbrough. Judge Kimbrough had a daughter named Helen. When Judge Kimbrough and his little girl, Helen, walked around town together, they did not walk on the sidewalk. Instead, they walked on the dirt path that ran beside the sidewalk. This was an unusual practice 
because in that time and place, people with light skin, like the Kimbros, generally walked on the sidewalk, while people with darker skin were forced to walk on the dirt path. One day, after walking around town on the dirt path with her father, little Helen asked, Daddy, why don't we walk on the sidewalk? Judge Kimbrough uh, looked at his little girl and said, we don't walk on the sidewalk because some people are not allowed to. Until they are allowed on the sidewalk, we'll walk this dirt path with them. In every age, in every culture, in every time, in every place, some people are upheld by social structures while others are repressed by them. Some get to walk on the sidewalk while others are relegated to the dirt path due to their race or their religion or their caste or their gender or their class or some other identity marker. In Romania, for example, the Romani people are a minority group that is marginalized and mistreated by the majority population. In India, the Dalits are considered the lowest caste, and they suffer various forms of exclusion and oppression. Author Isabel Wilkerson notes that in certain areas of India, when out walking in public, the lowest caste people were to remain a certain number of paces from any dominant caste person, somewhere between 12 and 96 steps away, depending on the castes in question. Individuals like Judge Kimbrough stand out because instead of simply enjoying their status, they walk in solidarity with the repressed. This is the kind of ethic the prophet Isaiah had in mind. In Isaiah's day, God's people were fixated on ritual piety and devoid of social concern. They were caught up in ceremonial forms of worship, such as sacrificing lambs and bulls and goats, and they were neglecting the plight of the underprivileged. So Isaiah declared, bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. The social sins of the people made their worship services unpalatable to God. Their neglect of needy neighbors made their churchy activities unacceptable to God. Verse 15 has God saying, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Take that in. The people's indifference to the downtrodden, rendered their prayers inaudible to the Almighty. Isaiah not only rebuked their sin, but also suggested what they could do to please God instead. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. The Hebrew term rendered justice here is mishpah. Biblically, it refers to supporting and defending persons who are vulnerable or oppressed. 
Isaiah is not the only prophet to call for justice. Zechariah 7 says, administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion for one another. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the alien or the poor. Jeremiah 22 says, act with justice and righteousness. Do no wrong or violence to the alien, the orphan, or the widow. Amos 5 says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Micah 6 says, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. To seek justice, as Isaiah says, is to pursue equitable and righteous treatment of all people in accordance with their unassailable dignity as persons created in the image of God. Verse 17 specifically mentions orphans and widows, two of the most vulnerable demographics in ancient society. As Bible scholar Patricia Toll explains, they were especially vulnerable because of their lack of legal status and because their ability to labor was hampered by age, family obligations, or lack of physical strength. In short, these were destitute folks who walked the dirt path. And Isaiah was calling God's people to attend to them, to care for them, to support them. It's not that Isaiah was against worship. He was against ceremonialism emptied of social consciousness. You see, when religion becomes ritual without ethics, it's just religiosity. When piety becomes a prayer without social concern, it's just piousness. When faith becomes ecclesiastical convention without heartfelt compassion, it's phony. When services of worship become disconnected from serving people in need, it's spiritual fraud. The God revealed in the Bible is a champion of the downtrodden. Psalm 68 says, God is a father to the orphan, a defender of the widow, and a provider for the poor. Deuteronomy 10 says, God executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Psalm 146 adds, God executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. This was a distinctive attribute of the biblical God in relation to other ancient deities. In almost every other ancient culture, the gods identified with social elites, yet the God of Israel exercised power on behalf of widows, orphans, the alien, and the poor. Bible scholar Peter Vanderhorst points out that Greco-Roman gods had no interest in the poor. Accordingly, in Greco-Roman culture, the well-to-do weren't expected to support and help the poor. It was not so with God's people, though. God constantly commanded the Israelites to care for the vulnerable. In fact, Bible scholars count 36 instances in which the Old Testament tells us to treat the alien, the orphan, and the widow justly and compassionately. As Pastor Timothy Keller writes, God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power 
and so should we. This is what it means to do justice. Regrettably, this emphasis does not always translate into church life. Albert Blackwell, professor emeritus of religion at Furman University, observes that the foundational biblical laws supporting impoverished persons, immigrants, orphans, and widows are found in eight chapters spread among Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Yet only one portion of one of these passages appears in the Revised Common Lectionary, a three-year cycle of scripture readings used in over 20 Christian denominations. Perhaps the Bible is not always read thoroughly enough for people to digest its consistent summons to support vulnerable members of society. Or perhaps churches become fixated on their own institutional welfare rather than supporting people who have the odds stacked against them. As theologian Leonardo Boff observed, the institutional church can become neurotically preoccupied with itself, and as such, lacking a real interest in the major problems facing humanity. A principal challenge for churches across the world, then, is to redirect focus from the machinations of institutional preservation to the major problems facing humanity. Sunday attendance, budget giving, and building maintenance are all important. But the ministry of the church is intended for the flourishing of humanity and all creation. We are called the light of the world, not a lamp for ourselves. Isaiah railed against institutionalized ritual, not because it is intrinsically misguided, but because it had been divorced from aiding the downtrodden. Isaiah was calling for worship to be integrated with ethics, for ritual to be connected with mission, for sanctuary piety to be paired with genuine care for the most vulnerable members of society. He was not promoting a patronizing pity. He was calling God's people to extend empathy, compassion, care and empowerment for persons who have agency and capability yet are vulnerable or repressed due to their social location. He was challenging God's people not to mindlessly enjoy the sidewalk when people on the dirt path need support. A few years ago, I read a story from the Netherlands about the Tomrazian family. In 2010, the Tomrazians fled their homeland of Armenia due to persecution and violent threats against them. They ended up in the Netherlands where a judge granted them asylum. But in 2018, after eight years of safe asylum, the Dutch government overruled the initial ruling and sent authorities to apprehend and deport the Tomrazian family. This put the family in significant Danger, and this is when the congregation of Bethel Church sprang into action. Located in The Hague on the west coast of the Netherlands, Bethel Church took in the Tomrazian family and promptly started a worship service. They did so because Dutch law prohibits immigration authorities from acting in religious spaces. This meant that as long as a worship service was going on in the church building, 
The Tomrazian family would be protected there by law. The service went on and on and on. It went on 24 hours a day for multiple weeks. The pastor printed out the church's orders of worship from the previous 10 years, lined them up back to back, and scheduled volunteers and ministers from other churches to come and help lead the services so they would run continuously without ceasing. The goal was to buy enough time for church leaders to work with government officials in order to secure a safe, long-term home for the Tomrazian family. In the end, Dutch authorities granted the Tomrazian family a pardon as well as a permit for permanent residence. What a beautiful outcome to a worship service that continued nonstop for 97 days from October of 2018 through January of 2019. As journalist Annabelle Timsit reported, all this resulted in 2,307 hours of worship and attracted more than 12,000 visitors, nearly 1,000 preachers, and 150 volunteers. This is the kind of witness that makes prophets do cartwheels. The combination of worship and ethics, the synthesis of spiritual devotion and social consciousness, the institutional church supporting, defending, and helping persons who are vulnerable. This is the kind of witness Isaiah demands, and this is the kind of witness worthy of the name Christian. For when God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, God did not join a family with status, but an underprivileged family. We know this because in Luke 2, Joseph and Mary offered two doves as their temple sacrifice. Doves were the inexpensive sacrifice that low-income families made, while people of means were sacrificing lambs and bulls and goats. Since Christ left the golden streets of glory to come and walk the dirt paths of earth, surely we can step off the sidewalks of status to walk with Christ where the impoverished walk, to seek justice for the disinherited, to defend the orphan, to plead for the widow. Indeed, I am ever so grateful to serve with a congregation that leaves the sidewalk to minister with Crossover Healthcare Ministry, to minister with our ESL ministry, to minister with communities out in West Virginia, to minister with persons experiencing homelessness, to minister with children and families involved in foster care, and to minister with persons suffering a variety of adversities and injustices in countless contexts. We are inspired to keep up this good work as a congregation as we hear Isaiah calling for vulnerable persons to be defended and pleaded for. This is law court language, summoning us to pursue justice in society until all people are treated equitably with the dignity that is due them because they are created in the image of our God. God's concern for justice is clear in the message of Isaiah, the biblical prophets, the Old Testament law, and the ministry of Christ, who according to Matthew 12, came to proclaim justice and to bring justice to victory. 
the God revealed in Christ, who is champion of the poor, the vulnerable, and the oppressed, calls us to their advocacy and aid precisely because we are the people of God. As the 20th century preacher Howard Thurman wrote, there can never be a substitute for taking personal responsibility for social change. Which brings me back to the sidewalks of Metter, Georgia. Everything's better in Metter, they say. Well, the sidewalks there are certainly better nowadays because everyone is allowed to walk on them. And the little girl who walked around town The little girl who walked around town with Judge Kimbrough in the 1940s grew up with those same sidewalks still on her mind. I know this because I was blessed to be Helen's pastor. I was blessed to be Helen's pastor for a few years in North Carolina. She told me the story about her dad teaching her to walk in solidarity with their neighbors. And when I knew Helen, she was in her 70s. I'm emotional because she was a dear friend and she died a few years ago. When I knew Helen, she was in her 70s and she was a Sunday school teacher a WMU leader. <laughs> she was a remarkable woman of God, a deacon. She was always asked to close the church meetings with prayer because when Helen prayed, you could feel God in the room with you. And I think about Helen this time of year when the caps and gowns are out because Helen grew up to become part of the first class of women ever to graduate from Georgia Tech. She and a few other young women blazed a new path, and since then, thousands of other women have walked the sidewalks of the Georgia Tech campus. Helen's first steps toward her college education came years earlier on a dirt path where a righteous judge taught her what it means to seek justice in the name of God. Friends, let us go and do likewise. Amen.